all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. Just to change the title, uh, Breaking Silver Bullet, I really think uh, because based on our preclinical model studies what we are doing and also lots and lots of anecdotal evidence, we, it's, it appears it's very, very promising. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us almost every Thursday on iTunes or your favorite podcast app for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 258 with... Jaya Kumar Rajadas. He's a researcher and he's all about disulfiram and Lyme. He's a Stanford researcher. And he's a Stanford researcher. Yes. Ooh, Pretty cool. Stanford researcher. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you'll learn three main things how Borrelia crosses the blood brain barrier, the efficacy of disulfiram, and the current research being done to investigate the clinical effect of disulfiram. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout out to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in, and we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. It's a new year, new podcast. Welcome. You are now officially a Lime Ninja. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. Like this past week, we've had listeners tune in from Paris, France to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thanks, Aurora. And now tell us a little bit more about Jayakumar Rajadas. So this is from the Bay Area Lyme Foundation website. Jayakumar Rajadas is a PhD, is the Director of Biomaterials and Advanced Drug Delivery Laboratory at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Rajadas is currently researching the molecular mechanism of protein-initiated neurodegenerative disorders involved in Alzheimer's and Lyme disease development. His recent research, funded by Bay Area Lyme Foundation, identified 20 FDA-approved compounds that were more effective in inhibiting persistent Lyme bacteria than standard antibiotic treatment, one of which is disulfiram. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why we wanted to bring you this recording from the Lime Mind Conference. 
There's so much interesting things happening out there scientifically. Hopefully, it will be clinically relevant in the next few years. But I do want you to know what's coming down the pipeline and what's being researched and where the excitement is. And disulfiram is definitely one of those things and took a headline role in the Lyme Mind Conference, yes. which was held in New York City in 2019. Yes, I particularly got a tickle out of his uh, uh, out of his title where he called it the silver bullet. Yes. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. That's always science's best hope is to create a silver bullet that only attacks the pathogen and not any of the surrounding tissue. And it's exceedingly difficult to do that. So we're going to hopefully have a patient talk about her experience with disulfiram. So we'll see if the actual rubber meeting the road matches up with all the excitement that's being expressed by these researchers. All right. And here is the Lime Mind Conference presentation by Dr. Rajadas. Support and also thank you very much for inviting me for this conference. Great talk. And I thank all the previous speakers who mentioned about Dysel from especially Dr. Uh, Kenneth Lehner and uh, Horowitz and uh, uh, Dr. Kim Lewis. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's a great story, an amazing story. I just wanted to share the excitements with you. Uh, so I just uh, changed the title, uh, Breaking Silver Bullet. I really think, uh, because based on our preclinical model studies, what we are doing, and also lots and lots of anecdotal evidence we have, as Dr. Kim Lewis mentioned, a lot of patients are literally uh, requesting their clinicians to prescribe that. So there are about five uh, dedicated uh, face group groups, and then they keep posting their experience, including the one which started by Christina Bauer. She's here. So it's, it appears it's very, very promising. So I'm going to just uh, you know show our results and also some of uh, the possible uh, opportunities to why we need to look at disulfiram very carefully. 10 to 20 percent of the patients, they always end up with the chronic symptoms. And, uh, you know, after attending this meeting, I removed this post-treatment Lyme disease not nomenclature because I don't know how people are going to accept it. And uh, so what I thought is, you know, to look at this issue, pain is real and the treatment is possible. You know, all my previous uh, speakers also mentioned treatment is possible. So that's a positive note. And, uh, you know, I just always take an inspiration from art. This one is the Michelangelo. You can see uh, the David is holding a bubble to attack a Goliath, a huge giant. Of course, the problem is very, very complicated. Perhaps the result, I mean, the possibility and also the opportunity is very, very simple. Uh, I, I know that's the reason why we started looking at uh, disulfiram very carefully about four years ago. And much more carefully after Kim Louis started looking at it. Because we thought something, you know, very interesting. That's why a very serious scientist like Kim Louis is also focusing on it. So these are all the, uh, you know, my people. It, we are about uh, 16 members team. And uh, uh, six of them are totally dedicated for uh, Lyme disease research. 
And uh, Ying Zhang, I wanted to thank because uh, even though we started at 2011, our first high throughput screening, uh, he published it first, before that the major uh, screen. And then, of course, the Kenneth Lehner, our clinician, uh, he's very, very different from other clinicians, extremely scientifically motivated clinician. Once he saw his patients started uh, expressing a lot of positive effects of disulfiram, he started calling me almost weekly once. And he, with all excitements, one hour he will, ex you know, one by one, in every minute detail, he will share it with me. I used to take notes and discuss with my team. And so that helped me to a lot of designing, uh, in a lot of preclinical model. So then uh, Monica Embers, my collaborator, who is having a very good uh, chronic model. So she is right now, currently as we speak, doing a big uh, preclinical model studies with the disulfiram formulation we developed. And uh, Dr. Mark Davis, who is kind of, uh, is basically chair of Lyme Working Group at Stanford. So I wanted to uh, also uh, thank Bay Area Lyme Foundation by providing the support and, uh, uh, you know, Live Lyme Foundation, LKLBTR Foundation, Laurel Stem Foundation. All these foundations, they gave us a moderate support and also a time-bound support. I didn't get a prolonged, you know, open-ended support any of these foundations. The reason for that uh, is because, uh, because when, you know, they, the foundations always choose kind of very popular researchers. Unfortunately, I'm not a very popular researcher in this area, so I attracted a minimum support, but I'm still very grateful to them. And uh, you know, many, if you see Jonathan Locke, Christine Bird, Beverly Murphy, she's also here, Jose and Harrison. These people, they are kind of patient support group, and they send a lot of support for us, a lot of donation for us, unrestricted grants. So we are kind of surviving through this money. And uh, I just uh, take uh, my inspiration from uh, uh, Dr. Sir John Robert Wayne. Jo Robert Wayne tried to develop aspirin as a therapeutic molecule. But, you know, when people, you know, scientists wanted to develop a, such a, such a simple molecule as a therapy, everybody warned him. He's not going anywhere. So ultimately, it led to a shutting down his lab because he couldn't attract any funding Aspirin, you know, it was known almost 4,000 years. Below bark, people used to take and then treat patients. People know about it. So they thought, they ridiculed him. They thought, why you are going to make a big therapy out of it? But still, he believed that aspirin, by understanding aspirin, how exactly it works, and understanding how the chronic condition it is reversing, it can lead to a lot of, lot of therapeutic opportunity. So I thought, Disulfiram may be in another aspirin. Perhaps at one point it will be, you know, declared as a molecular of the year. So this is uh, my, so first of all, we wanted to find out whether, whether we have any animal model that we show the pain, whatever the pain people are facing. So Borrelia, especially when we are, uh, you know, exposing the animals, with the, especially in the animal model we have, they are tend to develop the disease, not the like uh, wild type mice. You see, they never develop any disease, and these models they develop disease. So once you inject the Borrelia to them in 28 days, you see a profound, very significant increase, a signature of 
inflammatory markers in their blood and also in, in the gene expression. So it's very, very real. Like it's not that these animals, and of course, if you leave these animals untreated, they do develop arthritis, they do develop other kind of complication. And so we, you know, unfortunately, sorry for this slide, I put it in the last minute. So then we thought, why not we look at why only the immune uh, cytokines level, why not we look at the brain? Because most of the people, they always say they have a huge brain, pro uh, uh, you know, fatigue and other kind of problems. So maybe we need to look at the cognition level very, very carefully. First, we started very simple. We just, uh, like as Kenneth Lehner uh, you know, mentioned in the previous uh, uh, meeting. So we just took it in a very a simpler approach. Like we took a small portion of the Borrelia, a triacylated lipid. We ensured, you know, we wanted to put them in the brain and we wanted to find out whether these animals have a cognition problem. The answer is yes. Borrelia, even after its death, like for example, it can shell out lot of lipid particles. These lipid particles can cross blood-brain barrier and cause disease. I mean, if these particles, they survive for very, very long time in the brain and other part of the peripheral area, they are going to cause a disease and sustain the disease. So this paper uh, got published in early this, uh, uh, you know, year and, you know, it got into uh, Journal of Neuroscience cover page. These two individuals out of the six, they played very, very important role because they believed therapy is possible. The first one is Ravindra Potanini. He started like seven years ago, the high throughput screening, which, you know, um, he listed the top 20 molecules he wanted to be in developing in the, you know, another four or five years. We are, and, and he did. And the next one is Harihara Potula. He is basically immunologist and also he is interested in, you know, studying the effect of borrelial infection on cognition problem and how disulfiram is curing uh, this problem. So this is the, uh, you know, what are the reports we have at Stanford University. We are extremely fortunate. We have this, you know, a great collection of molecules. It's all printed in this, uh, you know, slides we get. And in this, uh, we culture the bacteria and then try to see how much bacteria survive in the presence of these compounds. So we have this uh, uh, opportunity and we use that opportunity for the development. So now, you know, because of lack of time, I just uh, go to the, the, this slide, the famous slide which Dr. Kim Lewis kindly, you know, supported this in one of his talks. The top one is disulfiram, uh, you know, the top one. And I also put disulfiram in another slide which you see, it's dangerous in a sense, uh, it's not because of its exceptional toxicity. Uh, it's not like something, so when I started working on it, I went and met the person who is an expert in aldehyde dehydrogenases. She got a company and she very carefully looked at this problem. So she told me disulfiram is not a bad drug. It's not a very toxic drug, 40 years, you know, and a lot of people are on disulfiram for a very long time. You know, if it's a bad drug, they would have pulled it out of the market. It's not a bad drug. Then why people are so scared about disulfiram? The reason for that, our civilization is literally so much knowingly and unknowingly addicted to alcohol. Because this drug, it's almost like, you know, 
if you see the life of uh, Samson and Delilah, you, uh, when before the Samson was promised, his parents was asked, told no alcohol, not even related anything to alcohol. If you take a diesel from even 100 milligrams, you go to a, a you know like a hospital. You just, there is a you know sanitizer. You just use the sanitizer. That's all. You need an hospitalization for that because you get a, such a horrible, horrible side effects. So that is the only problem. I am from originally India. I you know for us this is not a big problem because not not many of us we are used to have a lot of alcoholic products. But for uh, European and U.S. based uh, patients, this is going to be a huge problem. Uh, that's uh, one big issue we face. So no alcohol, and then they. But still, it is worth as Ken mentioned. It still is worth. Why? It is having so many uh, nice good things, and uh, uh, we we really think we found out exactly where disappearing acting uh, in based on our biophysical in silico calculations and also. Our, we just uh, started getting the results. We found out few outer coat proteins binds very, very effectively to disulfuram and then act as a delivery agent to kill the bacteria itself. That's very interesting. Maybe in an another conference, I will talk about the details. We just uh, getting the data. So disulfuram, uh, so this particular enzyme, if you see how exactly it uh, degrades, it gets into one particular molecule called DDHC. That's a major uh, molecule which is having a lot of therapeutic value as far as the bacterial killing. So, but unfortunately, it also develops into a lot of other products. That's why I gave a title, it's kind of a degrading molecule. And what we found out in our lab, my lab is a biomaterial and bonds drug delivery lab. So, when we realized that IP injection is not effectively sterilizing the mice. I developed a oral injection. So I, I tried to, sorry, oral uh, delivery system. I developed uh, lipids and also carbohydrate mixes. I screened thousands of them. Finally, we found out a very effective, you know, combination that can deliver the disulfuram in the upper part of the lower intestine. And then we got a perfect and maximum sterilization. So that's a good news and there's a company licensed this product from Stanford University and it's called Flight Path Biosciences. They are developing it and uh, I am so glad that, uh, you know, uh, uh, clinicians are taking this very seriously and I'm thankful for this. So pain is real and there is an opportunity to address the pain. so cool. He draws a comparison between disulfiram and aspirin and how it was discovered, well, aspirin was discovered to be useful for treating cardiovascular disease. And I think it's important to repeat that these quote unquote simple therapies can be really powerful and useful to pursue, you know, both clinically and in research. There was an article probably 20 years ago that was in the New Yorker magazine. And it was an article about the placebo effect. 
and how most research is trying to eliminate the placebo effect when they're studying because we want to know what the substance is actually doing and we want to eliminate the mind's role in healing. Of course, as a clinician, you want to include the mind's role in healing. But when you're a researcher, you want to eliminate it. One of the things that they thought about, that they postulated, was that drugs with worse side effects got, quote-unquote, better results because people knew they were in a study, and if they had a negative side effect to the substance they were given, they would make the guess that it wasn't the placebo, that it wasn't the sugar pill. And therefore, drugs with worse side effects, people would say, oh, that must be the real thing, and actually invoke the placebo response, right? It's kind of twisted logic. But that's that's such an important thing. Is like maybe you don't need to go through two years of IV hell with antibiotics. Maybe that is the best way best way. I you know I'm not trying to take the place of your doctor, but maybe the nuclear bomb route to killing everything possible in the body, kind of like the old chemotherapy days, maybe that's not the best route to go. And something more targeted like disulfiram or herbal therapy is the way to go. Just something to contemplate. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button. The subscribe button, not the button. Is button a word? It is somewhere. We should look that up. Quick, There's look Busan it up. in Korea. There I you think. go. Maybe that's what it is. Anyway, <laughs> if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, share this podcast with a friend. And if you really, really like what we're doing, scroll down to the bottom of your podcast app and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people just like you. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know ninjas don't blow out birthday candles? The candles surrender their flames willingly. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.